Well, it is truly an honor and a joy and a privilege to be on this side of the service with you this morning to be delivering the message. But I've got to do something this morning that a guitar teacher told me never to do, which is to open a performance by apologizing. But I'm actually going to apologize to any first-time guests or visitors that we have this morning. Uh, the first apology is, I'm not Pastor Chris, as you well saw, but I formally invite you to come back next week to hear our very impactful and very insightful pastor that we feel so blessed to have here. The second apology, also for any first-time guests or visitors, is that this message was not meant with you in mind. Now, hopefully there's something you can still glean from it, but this message was meant for you the members of Parish United Methodist Church, the regular attenders of Parish United Methodist Church. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump right into the scriptures, and uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit this morning. We're going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12, 1 through 18, and then hop to uh, verses 26 to 27. And then I want to very briefly touch on Psalm 139, verses 14 through 15. All the scriptures this morning have to do with the body. In 1 Corinthians, we have a beautiful metaphor of how the church of Christ should function as a body. And in Psalm 139, we have one of the most beautiful words used to describe the magnitude of God's creation of the body. So let's go ahead and read from 1 Corinthians. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts Form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And now from Psalm 139. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Friends, will you pray with me? Lord, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing and acceptable to you. Hide us behind the cross. And whatever we accomplish here, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it all. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. When was the last time 
you were so awestruck by something that you used the word fearful to describe it. I'm willing to bet probably never, because that's not really a word that we use in our vocabulary very often. But I would like to think that if I were describing something as fearful, it would be something epic in scope, like a fearful mountain or a fearful great storm. And it's for that reason that I absolutely love that the psalmist has used the word fearful to describe the body. I mean, what a perfect word to describe that. It's a perfect word to describe the infinite nature of our consciousness, the incredible way all our systems work together, and all the meticulous details that come together and unite us and make us human. Fearful. That is a perfect word to use. Now, I know this may be bordering on the ridiculously overanalytical, but it seems to me that if God has made our body to be something that's fearful, and Paul describes the church as itself a body, and not only anybody, but the body of Christ, then aren't we, as a church, supposed to be something that has been made to be fearful? Are we a fearful church? Are we a fearful body of believers? When people drive down the road on 301, do they look at Parish United Methodist Church and say, man, that is a fearful church? How do we become a fearful body of Christ? Well, let's take the metaphor at face value. Paul says that the, par- the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So it seems logical to me that in order to have a fearful body, you must have fearful parts of the body. So let me ask you, what part of the body, the physical body, do you find the most fearful Well, being a musician, I think I am uh, contractually obligated to say that I find the ears to be a very fearful part of the body. And I love what the ears do for me. I mean, they allow me to play music. They allow me to hear music. And what's more even important than that is they allow me to communicate. And they allow you to communicate with me. The ears are truly a wonderful part of the body. But I get a little bit disconcerted when I talk to people that they don't seem quite as fond of their ears as, they do of, as I do of mine. And it's not because I feel like anybody's ears are made any less than mine, but when I talk to people, sometimes they tell me with a tinge of dissatisfaction that they're disappointed with their ears because they believe they're tone deaf. Are you tone deaf? Are you sure? Because I can invite you up here to sing a solo if you're not sure. Actually, this morning, we're going to find out just how fearful your ear is. And we're going to begin with a tone-deaf test. And before I see you sweating, I see you sweating back there, I see you sweating. Before you get nervous, this isn't a singing test. Don't worry, I'm not listening. This is actually a listening test. And I've got a very brief clip of audio to play for you. And from that, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. And so we're going to find out if you are, in fact, tone-deaf. Okay? So here we go. You ready for the tone deaf test? Here we go. If you want to find Cherry Tree Lane, all you have to do is ask the policeman at the crossroads. A little strange, right? Here, I'll give it to you again just to make sure that I'm fair. Here we go. If you want to find Cherry Tree Lane, all you have to do is ask the policeman at the crossroads. So here comes the test. 
And now none of these are trick questions. I am in no way trying to pull a fast one on you. If you think the answer is obvious, you're probably right. So here we go. Here are your questions. And you can keep them to yourself for a moment, and then we'll go over them together at the end. So number one, did this person sound like a man or a woman? Number two, what age is this person? And I don't mean a specific number. Is this a baby Is this a toddler? Is this a teenager, an adult, an elderly person? Number three, what part of the world do you think they're from? Number four, was the statement you heard a question or a declaration? Number five, how would you describe this person? Calm, angry, confused? Okay. So here we go. You ready for the answers? Number one, yes, this is in fact a woman. Number two, the age. An older person, argument could be made for maybe an even older person than that, but it's certainly not a baby, certainly not a toddler, certainly not a teenager. Number three, what part of the world do you think they're from? Okay, an argument could be made for um, England, could be made for Australia. They're certainly not American, though. There's some tinge of a, a British accent there. Number four, Was the statement you heard a question or a declaration? A declaration. This wasn't a question. There was no upward inflection at the voice. And number five, how would you describe this person's mood? I think calm. I think a little bit detached. Certainly not irate. Certainly not confused. Okay? So are you ready to hear how the tone-deaf test scored? If you answered... One question correct. I can assure you with 100% confidence that you are, in fact, not tone deaf. By show of hands, who passed the tone deaf test? Beautiful. Congratulations. Wonderful. So you're probably wondering to yourself, what on earth does me answering questions about a calm, British, adult woman making a statement about Cherry Tree Lane have to do with me being tone deaf? Well, to understand, we first need to redefine what we mean when we say tone deaf. When we talk about tone deaf, we think of singing. We think of music, right? We talk about singing on key, singing in pitch. But the words tone deaf themselves actually describe neither of these things. What it indicates is your ability to hear, specifically, Pitch is the variance between high frequencies and low frequencies. And so if you're tone deaf, what you're implying is that your brain is dysfunctional to the point that you can't discern high pitch from low pitch. And I can't even begin to describe to you how bizarre that would be if your brain actually produced that sort of effect. Even me talking in monotone won't give an accurate sense of judgment about how strange that would be to our ears. But you may be thinking, okay, John, but that's not what I meant when I said I was tone deaf. What I meant is that I can't sing, and so by that measure, I am tone deaf. Well, no, you're not tone deaf. You're just a bad singer, and that's okay. (laughs) But I want to discourage you from calling yourself tone deaf for two reasons. Number one, I'm no expert on the etymology of tone deaf, where the term came from, but I would reckon to guess that it was conceived as an insult. You know, guy number one over here is singing in the shower maybe, and guy number two hears him singing in the shower, and he's singing awfully, and he says, oh, you're so bad, you're tone deaf. 
So I have a feeling it was conceived as an insult like that. And I don't want you to live in an insult. But what's even more important is that if you have gone around for any number of years, any amount of time, believing that you're tone deaf, then I also believe that you haven't taken a moment in at least a long time to realize that not only are you not tone deaf, but you have fearful ears. How do I know that you have fearful ears? Go back to the test you took this morning. Within five seconds, I only played for you five seconds of audio. Think about the amazing things your fearful ear was able to do. You were able to tell this person's gender. You were able to tell this person's age. You were able to tell what part of the world they were from. You were able to tell the subtle inflection of mood. You were able to tell the subtle inflection of if she was asking a question or telling a statement. And now if you were really listening carefully, you may have even thought, wow, uh, there's a certain detached nature to what she's saying. And in fact, there was. She was reading off a script. This is from an audiobook. This is the first passage of Mary Poppins. So if your ear was able to tell that, it's just more proof that you have an absolutely fearful, wonderful ear. And did you know that even if this morning, if you are deaf or you are hard of hearing, your ears still play a vital function in your body. Your ears actually play a pivotal role in your body's ability to balance. Your ears are fearful and wonderful no matter what you think of them. In that same regard, you are a fearful and wonderful member of the body of Christ, no matter what you think of you. Let me narrow it down even more. You are a fearful member of Parish United Methodist Church, no matter what you think of you. So many times I feel like we buy into this notion that if we're not on an important committee, if we're not on leadership, if we're not on stage singing with the praise band, or if we're not singing a solo with the choir, then somehow we must be less important of a member of the body of Christ. But no, friends, go back to the scriptures this morning. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of spell be? Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to aspire to be a different part of the body. If you know in your heart that God has you to, called you to be a nose and you're stuck with the feet, you've got a big problem on your hands. But if God has called you to be an ear and the church needs an ear, and the church has asked you to be an ear, but you don't think you're qualified to be an ear because you think you're tone deaf, then you need to change the barometer by which you judge your fearfulness. Listen to these words in the chapter that follows chapter 12 in Corinthians. Chapter 13, listen to what Paul writes. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and even give up my body to burn but do not have love, I gain nothing. 
This past March, Pastor Chris, Ethel Polly, and myself went up the road about an hour to Lutz, Florida, to the Real Ideas Conference at Van Dyke United Methodist Church. And I love going to this conference. It's not just your run-of-the-mill church conference. Van Dyke Church actually puts it on. And that's super helpful if you're a church staff because you can get immediate application and see what's been working for them, what's been working in their music ministry, what's been working in their pastoral care, what's been working in their children's ministry. And so it's a really cool experience to get to go up there. But I have a secret name for Real Ideas. I like to call it Covet Fest. I call it Covet Fest because you go to Van Dyke and, man, you see their incredible lighting system. It must be like a multi-million dollar setup. You see their video system, and it's awesome. Their sanctuary space, their acoustic treatment, their sound engineers, they're awesome. You walk down out of the sanctuary, their children's space, it's incredible. All the other facilities they have are just, oh, man, we would love to have those. And so, yeah, we kind of come away from it with stars in our eyes. But when we left Covet Fest this year, there was actually something I coveted even more. And I coveted it after I had one of the best meals of my life. It was on the second day of the conference. It's Friday afternoon. And they had provided lunch for us, Chick-fil-A. We were all really excited for this lunch, as you can imagine. And we're Methodists. We know how food works. There's a table here with, with your you know, Chick-fil-A. There's a table over here with your drink. There's a table over here with desserts, condiments, what have you. And so I was standing in line waiting to get my Chick-fil-A, super excited about this. And I go up, and there's the bags of Chick-fil-A on the counter, on the table. And behind the table stands this woman with a shirt that says, you know, Real Ideas Conference, Van Dyke Church. And so... She hands me my Chick-fil-A, and I say, thank you. And she looks at me, and she smiles, and she goes, the pleasure is mine. I go and get my silverware at the silverware table and the condiments, and they hand them to me. And I say, oh, thank you. And she looks at me, another woman in another shirt that says Van Dyke Church, Real Ideas Conference. She looks at me in the eye, and she smiles, and she says, the pleasure is mine. I go to the cooler, you know, the cooler with the drink that's got all the ice in it. No one wants to stick their hand down in there because, boy, it's cold. And so there's another woman standing there. She says, what will it be, honey, Coke, water, Sprite? I say, I'll take a water. She reaches her hand down in there. She pulls it up. I know it's freezing. I see the ice water dripping from it. And she hands it to me. She goes, there you go. And I say, thank you. And she looks at me and smiles and goes, the pleasure was mine. And then my eyes were opened. And I thought... It's Friday afternoon. Where do these people come from? And it's not just these people. I've seen hundreds, it seems like, of volunteers at this conference. Did they take off work to get here? And did they need to be here? I mean, they could have just put my Chick-fil-A out on the table. I would have grabbed two sandwiches, but they could have put it out on the table. (laughs) They didn't need anyone there doing what seemed like the most menial job possible. But they were there, and it wasn't a menial job to them. It was something that mattered, for in their smile, they showed the love of Christ. They conveyed the love of Christ to us, nothing but strangers. And it was a fantastic experience, and I went away from that. And that was one of the best meals I think I had ever had, by realizing that the body of Christ had come together 
to serve, and that the body of Christ had come together to show love. Friends, you can have all the facilities, all the technology, and all the resources in the world, but without fearful parts of the larger body of Christ coming together to sacrifice their time and talent to show their love as the body of Christ, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters except the body of Christ showing love, moving as one entity. And I don't think this message has been any more relevant to this body of believers than right now at this pivotal crossroads that we find ourselves in as Parish United Methodist Church. You know, we've been blessed to be a monument within the parish community, little old parish, for over a hundred years. But little old parish isn't going to be little old parish for much longer, for better and for worse. We see the signs of growth around us, and ever since I've been here, we've seen this excitement far off in the distance, and it's been like this wave coming towards us and this big wave of growth. But the danger is that we of the body of Christ, sometimes we have a tendency not to be the fearful body of Christ. We tend to be the lazy body of Christ, and we see this wave in the distance, and we're, li- we're there on our raft, and we're riding the waves, and everything's hunky-dory, and we see this wave, and we think that wave is going to take us all the way to glory, and we're going to coast ashore, and then it's going to be pie in the sky when you die by and by. But friends, that's not reality. What reality is, is that if you're the fearful body of Christ, no, you can't be laying on the raft. No, you've you got to get off the raft, man. You've got to be swimming. You've got to go. you got to fight the waves. You've got to see this person over here that's drowning, and you've got to go reach over there and save them. And then you see someone else that's, that's drowning, and you've got to go save them. And then you've got to clamor for air, and you've all got to move together, and all the parts of the body have got to move together. And if you're not willing to be the fearful body of Christ, then you're not going to ride that wave to shore and reach pie in the sky. You're going to get slammed to the bottom of the ocean because you're going to drown because you weren't willing to fight for it. You weren't willing to move together and you weren't willing to stay afloat as a fearful body of Christ. Friends, this community is awesome. I love this church. And I'm going to make a proclamation right here that I think will absolutely come true. As our community grows, I think our our love of Christ is going to grow as a community. You know, I recently heard a very distressing report that 70% of the residents of parish don't attend church right now. But I think that's on the, I think that's going to change. And I think as we grow as a community, I think the love of Christ is going to shine. And it's going to shine through every window and every door. And I think our churches will be filled. And I think that's awesome. And as we grow as a community, another awesome thing is going to happen. More churches are going to come in. We aren't going to be the only church for very long. And there's already other churches that are doing awesome things, and I can't wait for that, to be an awesome body of Christ together with a lot of other churches working towards this goal of saving souls, of sharing a message of hope and peace and love and comfort and joy. But if we aren't willing to be a fearful body of Christ that's willing to share the gospel, then if someone needs the gospel, then two things are going to happen. One, either someone else will, or two, no one else will. And quite frankly, as someone who's passionate about sharing this message of love, I'm not satisfied with either of those answers. We, as a body of Christ, have to come together. We have to show our love. We have to show our compassion. We have to be united on all fronts. This cool technology stuff, I love doing this. I love sitting back there every week and toying with it. But this isn't going to make us the fearful body of Christ. 
I love working with the music, and I love the choir, and I love the praise band, and I love it all, and I love the Parish Music Academy. But you know what? A cool music program isn't going to make us the fearful body of Christ. Pastor Chris, God love him. I love him too. He's one of the most amazing pastors I've ever had the chance to work with. But the head of the body, without a body to transport it, to support it, and to nourish it, is as good as useless. So yes, it matters. We have to be the fearful body of Christ. And we have to be the fearful body of Christ starting right now. How do you get involved in the fearful body of Christ? I know the first step, jump into a ministry. What ministry you say? Let's see. Take your pick. Children's ministry, Sunday school ministry, the thrift cottage, media team, food ministry, special events, youth ministry. Come talk to me about the Parish Music Academy. I'll find something for you to do. The choir, the youth band, the praise team. We're going to form a stage setup team, Bible studies, Wednesday night dinners, groundskeeping, missional outreach, online media, Stephen ministry. Go visit a shut-in. Go provide food for the Sunday morning gathering place. Go bring someone to church. Go be willing to take someone to the hospital. We have a brand new information booth that Eric McRoberts has built that looks awesome, but I'm going to cry if I see the same person manning it week after week. No, we've got to have volunteers. We've got to have people that keep us afloat. And these are just the ministries that I've mentioned that we presently have. This doesn't count the thing that's on your heart right now or has been on your heart for a long time. And we need you to get fired up about it. You know one of the most awesome ministries I think we have in this church? The blanket ministry. But we didn't sit around as a leadership team and go, home do dumb I think we really need a blanket ministry. No! Someone came up with the idea that a blanket ministry would be a really great thing and then Alma Wilbert came, and it's become a cornerstone of our church. Last night, we had an Alan Kendall concert, and the number one thing that he commented about this church, because he was back here in April, is he said, I wrap my newborn baby up in the blanket that I got from Parish United Methodist Church every night, and I think of you guys. That is the fearful body of Christ coming together. That is the fearful body of Christ, and it all starts with you. It doesn't start with the stage. It doesn't start with the leadership. It starts with each member being active, being engaged and being ready to participate. Friends, how do we become the fearful body of Christ? I think it starts with this. You know what this is? This is our volunteer sheet for trunk or treat tonight. You know how many names are on this? A hundred. A hundred names that have been willing to sacrifice their day for a greater cause, to come together to be the fearful body of Christ. And I'm willing to bet that as some people signed up for this, they thought no big deal. They thought no big deal. This is a menial job, and not saying it's a bad job, but handing out candy isn't rocket science. But you know what? This is where the fearful body of Christ starts. This is where our opportunity to show love grows from. This is our chance to impact our community. This is our chance to show that we are one united body, that we are a fearful body of believers that will come together, that will sacrifice time, that will invest in something they believe in and are passionate about. Friends, this evening, when you hand out candy, do it with love. For it's with love that you become the fearful smile of Christ. When you help with the craft, do it with love, all the love you can muster. For it is with love that you become the fearful hands of Christ. And when you hand out food this evening, you look him in the eye 
and you say, the pleasure is mine. You don't know what an impact that's going to make on somebody and cause them to have the best meal they've ever had. Friends, you are not tone deaf. You are fearful, wonderful, meaningful members of the fearful body of Christ. Amen. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, lead us. Help us to live in to your will of becoming a fearful body of believers, enamored with your love and enamored with the idea of sharing your love. For it is with love that we can change our community, that we can change our world. And if not our world, then let us change the life of one person. We love you, Lord. And we thank you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.